welcome to Ivy League Murders. My name is Sarah Alcorn. I'm a Harvard graduate and a private investigator. And my name is Laura Rodriguez McDonald. I'm a University of Miami graduate, longtime crime aficionado, and part of a fourth generation NYPD family. Laura and I don't always agree on everything. With her NYPD roots and my criminal defense background, sometimes we find ourselves on opposite sides of the jury. We do share a mutual passion for crime solving, and we both grew up in Cambridge, steps away from Harvard University. On Ivy League Murders, we discuss cases where the best of the best make the worst decisions. We look at people who seemingly have it all and throw it all away. Hey, Laura, if our listeners want to support our podcast, what can they do? You can go to our website at clovercrestmedia.com, where we have merchandise, a donate button, and all of the books we talk about. We also can be found at buymeacoffee.com, and we would love any input or suggestions from our listeners, and we can be reached by email at ivyleaguemurders at gmail.com. And very importantly, if you enjoy the podcast, please hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star review. We really appreciate all the support we've gotten so far. Hey, Laura. Hey, Sarah. Welcome back to Ivy League Murders. And we really want to thank everyone for tuning in again. Yes, welcome back. This week has been a little bit of a sad week for both Laura and I. And I have to say that I lost a family member this week, Cooney Harrison, and he was the beloved partner of my very beloved aunt, Kathy. So I just wanted to recognize Cooney and and what a wonderful person he was. And uh, he will be dearly, dearly missed. Yes, and I lost a dear friend from University of Miami and uh, Kevin Mitchell, and he really represented everything that it was to go to University of Miami, uh, especially in my era. And uh, he was just the life of the party, and he always continued to be that. And I'm going to have to poke fun at Kevin a little because I think he may have gone to University of Miami for eight or ten years because I think we were laughing at how many roommates he had. And he was just so much fun. We just had the best times for years in the Tiki Bar and Coconut Grove and just all over and uh, in New York. He will be very, very missed, gone too soon, and uh, I just wanted to remember him. We're going to be on with our case now, which is a sad case, so it is fitting. It is fitting, and we've named this case the victory and the tragedy of Yale's Rob Peace. And we do want to dedicate this show to Robert Peace's mom, Jackie Peace. You know, on Ivy League murders, and in thinking about this case, and I read a book by his roommate, Jeff Hobbs. Laura, I think you read it as well. And it is a real, really loving, but kind of unsparing portrait of Rob Peace and sort of, he was very much a guy of a lot of contradictions. And we'll talk about that today. And oftentimes on Ivy League murders, We tend to dwell on subjects who come from privilege and kind of screw it up. That's not the case for Robert Peace. He was born June 25th, 1980 in East Orange, Newark. He grew up in an area where violent crime rate was six times the national rate. And Newark in the 80s was just blighted by 30% unemployment and by crack cocaine, frankly. Really, the context of what was happening in Newark at the time, Newark was a busy industrial port, 
all that industry went overseas in the 80s. Interesting. Yeah, and so there's just huge unemployment, like I said, and really the scourge of crack cocaine. They called Newark Brick City because I guess they used to make bricks there. That name, that nickname, then started to refer to bricks of crack cocaine, basically. Wow. And so Rob Peace's father, Skeet, he was a drug dealer, and his mother, Jackie, had seen her neighborhood that she had bought a house in on Chatham Street in Newark in East Orange really become kind of like a war zone. Yes. And as much as Jackie loved Skeet, she didn't want to live with him. She got pregnant with Rob. She didn't want Rob growing up in that lifestyle. Yeah, she was really determined that her son would have a different life and he wouldn't turn out and become part of the street. Exactly. But Skeet, he was a really good dad as well. He was very involved with Rob, and Rob had a very powerful connection to his father. So from the very get-go, you see in Rob Peace's life, this contention between basically straight and street. Right, and he's a very good dad as far as loving, and but unfortunately he's not leading by a very good example. But his mom was. His mother, his mother definitely... She's a superhero to me. She is. She was hardworking. She was holding down three jobs. She used to read to Robert. And notice that at the age of two, he was basically like reading along with her. Oh, yeah. He was definitely, definitely gifted at a very young age. He was. And even the daycare that his mom sent him, the daycare workers called Rob the professor. I love that. I know. And his mom at first was like, oh no, like, are the other kids teasing him? Like, why are they giving him this nickname? The daycare workers were like, no, he just, he's so smart that he just knows everything. He was gifted from the very get-go. Yes, definitely. And she, and she encouraged that. And from his father, he really learned more of his street smarts. And Rob's father, Skeet, also didn't want him growing up soft, wanted to teach him how to fight. He wanted him to be able to defend himself. That's not an easy life. No, that I mean, Rob that's, that's, I mean that's reality. So he was toughening him up to meet the reality of where they lived. Skeet was also smart and very driven in his own way and very much a sort of his own man, like believed, you know, like you had to kind of make it in your own way. Unfortunately, he was not making great life choices. I mean, he was a drug dealer, hung out with other drug dealers. He would take Rob around really proudly and introduce him to the people that he knew in his life. And some of those were drug dealers. Skeet was a complicated person in his own right, very smart and recognized and I think admired how smart his son was. He would help him with his homework. He would pick him up from school. And Rob just loved his dad. Yeah, unfortunately, when Rob was seven, Skeet got arrested for the murder of two young women, Charlene and Stella Moore. And Sarah, this is a really sad case. Four women were in a house and an infant was in the room and Stella and another woman were sleeping and they had all been smoking crack the entire night before. Exactly. And somebody came in blasting a gun. Right. I mean, exactly what happened, I guess we'll never know. Yeah, exactly. There was a surviving witness in that room. Her name was Georgiana. And she identified Skeet, but not visually. She had only met him once, and she identified him by his voice, which seems a little bit sketchy to me. But Right, but he was found with the murder weapon. 
That's true. I have some questions about that myself. Laura and I debate about this, but the context was Newark police at that time were very corrupt. And I can't imagine Skeet, as smart as he was, would have, you dumped the weapon. That seems sketchy to me, but... Right, but we can't assume that the police planted a weapon either. I always look at things, Laura, like if I'm on a jury, what do I think? And so I recommend anybody who wants to take a deeper dive into the Robert Skeet Douglas case to go... Have another look. Yeah, have another look. It just, something to me just doesn't smell right about it. What's the motive? The women lived right next door to Skeet, and there was a search of Skeet's house. I don't know. The whole thing, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm not sure either. We see, you know, lots of senseless crimes. But nonetheless, this was a huge tragedy. Uh, You know, Rob loved his father very, very much. He was a huge part of his life. Despite his his lifestyle, I mean, he was he was a present father in his life, and and then he was gone. And then he was gone. Then he was gone, and. The process, we won't go through it. It took a long time. He did wind up getting convicted for these murders. And Rob and his mother did visit him, but he's basically taken out of his life. And this was a huge loss. It was an absolutely huge loss. Jackie, meanwhile, had gotten Rob into uh, Mount Carmel, which is a private parochial school. And that's where he went to middle school. And then he went on to go to St. Benedict's, which was basically, same thing, a private Christian institution. It kind of catered to gifted inner city kids. And can I mention here that she's low income, she's not making a lot of money, and she's paying tuition. Yes. I mean, this is an enormous sacrifice for her to be paying tuition. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're sacrificing food to pay tuition. Yeah, exactly. I mean, mean, this is not an easy road. I recommend anyone to read this book, but it's so poignant what she gives up. What what she sacrifices for for his education and for him. And like we said, since his childhood, Rob had had to manage these two worlds, like one of academia, because he was a straight A student and that of the streets. So even the few blocks that he had to walk from his house on Chatham Street to his schools, he would have to distribute money like throughout his body, like hide some in his shoes, his backpack, you know, that type of thing, because he basically had to have like show money, like he would inevitably get mugged. And so you hand a few dollars over and this was called like Newark proofing. Basically, you I had can't to, even imagine. I, it, it's awful. I mean, you this, know? Is, this is how he's starting his day to go to school. I mean, how do you... And, and yet he excelled in school. He did. Not just academically, socially he excelled. I mean, he excelled in sports. It's he, true. I think from the very get-go, Rob had to take on different personas. He did. He you did. know, you can't be the same person in these, you know, pretty fancy private parochial schools. And the same one on the streets, basically. He had to, that's what people said about him, is he had to have these sort of different personas to deal with the different realities in his life. And he seemed to really immerse himself in those worlds when he was in them. I mean, I found it so interesting. I mean, he didn't even know how to swim. When he got to the school, he learned how to swim and wound up on the water polo team. Which is so fascinating to me. I mean, you would never, I mean, that's a really elite sport and he winds up playing water polo 
it's just really amazing that he would go and just put himself out there. I mean, a lot of people would be embarrassed to get into a pool, not know how to swim, you know, it's be so taught. True. If, that, right. You know, and I, I feel like we're painting him out to be the saint here. He's and, not. And he's not a saint. And I know people often do that in these type of stories. He smoked a lot of weed. He liked to party. He did. From the you age know, of 13. From the he age was, of 13. Yep. He, he was definitely somewhat attracted to the life of the streets and to all of that. And I think that that was just part of his growing up. I think so, too. You know, and you know. part of his neighborhood, his community. So I don't want to paint him as, you know, I he was like not a kind saint. of gushing. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think he was just a complicated person. I think, right, as ways, we all you know? are. And yeah. I think, and especially in his case, because he had to kind of live in these two very, very different worlds that really very few people have to live in such different worlds. And very, was, very true. And also at St. Benedict's, he had, you know, he had a lot of leadership qualities. I think he got that from his dad. He was good with people. He would kind of take, kind of endears me to him, and I don't mean to gush, but he would take other kids, other kind of underdogs, like under his wing. And he mentored this one kid who I guess had like a 0.7 GPA. And Rob was really smart. He was in a position to like help this kid up his math grades and help him to excel. And there was another kid who was basically a refugee from the war in Croatia. And again, he kind of like adopts him and they form like a lifelong friendship. So one story that really stands out to me, Laura, is that Rob was part of, he was friends with these guys and they would go out for burgers after swim practice, basically. They ended up being called the Burger Boys. And so Rob, who oftentimes like didn't have the money for a burger, would like sit there and just like eat ketchup packages. But he would explain to them how like the biochemical aspects of the glucose would help him with the practice and stuff like that. But the Burger Boys are important because they figure in later in the story. Right, right, right. He stays friends with them. And at St. Benedict's, he took the Ivy League tour. I think the Ivy League was another universe to him. He had top grades. He was a water polo player, and he was a real water polo player. No, you know, we were joking around about this yesterday because He actually scored very high on the SATs, and he was a water polo player. If you've listened to our College Scandal episode, Rick Singer would rig, like, SAT scores and put water polo player pitchers in, and the kids never even played He'd have the parents put the kids in their pools with, with, like, USC equipment on (laughs) and pretend. And here we have this kid from, an inner city kid from Newark who was a real water polo player. Yeah, exactly. And actually didn't have to have anyone take the SATs for him. He actually did score a 15-10. But like we said, Rob is not a saint. He's not a saint. We don't mean to gush here, you know. So, I mean, he starts dealing weed at a pretty young age, you know. He gets into Yale. So he gets into Yale, and then, you know, how are you going to pay for that? And he actually winds up with a very wealthy sponsor who pays his full tuition. Yeah, his name is Charles Cowley. Cowley is a, like, a credit card baron, basically. He made millions with credit cards. And he recognized how special Rob was, and he paid his full freight to go to Yale. Shout out to him. Yeah, no kidding. I think that's amazing. Rob gets to Yale, and he starts selling weed for extra money. I think he started selling weed earlier. But he 
he's, you know. he's selling he's selling weed and this is a different world for him i mean the ivy league and sarah can speak to that maybe i mean i, you know, I, I mean any private that, university but you know yeah you because i think him. if like you don't come from super privilege and you go to a place like harvard or yale everybody's gone to prep school they're so used to privilege Neither was true for Rob. And oftentimes you see these cases, and we've seen these cases on Ivy League murders, where somebody who is the best of the best in their high school somewhere gets into a place like Harvard or Yale, and then they found her because... Right, they've been a big fish in a small pond. And we've seen this coming from Cambridge a lot because we've seen this and they get to these schools and they're kind of nothing. But that they, was they not... Don't, they don't know what to do with themselves. That's true. That was not the case with Rob. No, though. he like, seemed to socially kind of excel. The weed dealing may have helped. The weed dealing probably <laughs> did help, but he also excelled academically. He, he excelled was, academically. He was, ta- he was taking molecular biophysics I know, that and, bio, and biochemistry. He and also had a... He, he was a charismatic guy. People were drawn to him. Oh, they were totally drawn to him. I think he was charismatic, but kind of like a little bit mysterious. Which is attractive, I think, to people. I think people are drawn to that. And and that he was definitely not the norm. And I think that people, I mean, his roommate was definitely found him, you know, intriguing. And, you know, he did excel at Yale and he, he graduates. And I think this is when we really start to see more of the trouble with Rob. Because I think once the structure of school and education leaves is really when he starts to flounder. In his book, The Short and Tragic Life of Robert Peace, Jeff Hobbs, who was Rob's roommate at Yale, describes Rob as a complicated person navigating two very different worlds. And really, could he ever be fully understood in either one of them? And I think at Yale, he was likable, but kind of unapproachable. It's surrounded by privilege. And you just are when you're in a school like that, like I said. And I think people who come from privilege might be able to kind of sympathize with that, but they'll never be able to empathize. That's not a judgment. I think that just is. Right. I mean, how could one ever understand? I mean, you couldn't. Yeah. Ever. If if you've never walked in those shoes. And then there were the jerks who passed him off in the cafeteria as a worker and yeah. not a fellow student. I think he did work in the cafeteria, but they like they left, just you know. dismissed him. Yeah, it's just you know, thoughtless so rude. idiots. Every college has them. Every workplace has them. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sorry. I'm doing a shout down to those guys, though. No, I know. <laughs> I mean, I, I I went to a university that was full of a lot of privilege, too. So I've, I've experienced it. When he would go back to Newark, which he did a lot, to go visit his father, to go visit his mother, then people there thought he was stuck up because of his Yale connection. Like, they were jealous or, And this you know. is so funny to us because it's a joke in Cambridge. Like, how do you know someone went to Harvard? Because they tell you five minutes after they met you. Except for Sarah, who I tell everyone she went to Harvard. Like, she never tells anyone. And, and Rob was embarrassed that he went to Yale. I mean, he really didn't want anyone to know because it really kind of took away from his street credibility that, you know, he went to this Ivy League school. So it was something that he kind of didn't really want people to know about. Here's where East Orange and Yale crossover, though. He uses his biochemical knowledge to take two different strains of marijuana. I don't know anything about weed. There's a, the indica is much more mellow, is what I gather, and sativa is... Sativa. Sativa. And, and sativa. 
is is much more energizing. Okay, listeners, she went to Harvard. <laughs> hey, look, whatever, man. It's my Balenciaga. What can I say? Okay. And so he used butane and he mixed these two strains together, which I think is now common. But back then, this is, you're talking like 2010, 2009. He basically invented a strain of weed and he called it sour diesel and he created it in a lab. So it's interesting you see this combination of like street and Yale right there. And so sour diesel was a total hit on the street. But he also, Rob managed to like fly below the radar of the bigger dealers and he really seemed to like navigate the turf wars because you had to be careful. It couldn't get too big or you'd threaten somebody sure. or you, you had to really know how to play the game. Right, I this think, is very you know? Breaking Bad. I mean, this is Breaking Bad. This is like you go on the wrong corner and you get shot. I'm so touched by this story and how hard he fought to get where he was. But I do think a lot of it does come down to choices and that when he graduated from Yale, you know, he could have chosen to take a entry-level job like a lot of his friends did and commute and do all that stuff and he, I he didn't I, really want to do that that wasn't him but i also do think he was drawn back to east orange i think he was drawn back to east orange because of his mom and his ailing grandparents right basically he was not it wasn't like oh my god this is my favorite place in the world no but going, I, you know I, no yeah. i see that and i i'm not being insensitive but i definitely think that addiction these type of behaviors Dancing with the dark side in any way can happen no matter what your socioeconomics are. And there's a risk. There's always a risk. It's true. But the crazy thing to me, too, is circumstance. Okay, so weed at this point is illegal, right? right and I mean, so I feel like the weed that he came up with, if we were in the times that we are in now, like I can't help thinking that if you were alive today in these sort of legalized times, and the pot profitable times that we are, that you'd be like a marijuana baron. I don't have any doubt, you know, had the times been different and circumstances that he could have been very successful as a marijuana grower. But unfortunately, they were different times and it was illegal. So he was dabbling in the criminal side. And at the same time, his father was sick. His father got diagnosed with liver cancer. Yes. And he was still incarcerated. Rob fought hard to try to get his father some decent medical care. And so the fight for his father switched from trying to get his case overturned to basically getting his father adequate medical care. And I think his father does pass away. My feeling is, I think, Rob, after he graduated from Yale, he got a little bit lost, like a lot of us do. You graduate and then you're like, what the hell do I do? And I do think that his, he had some demons. The guy had some demons. He, I think he had depression. He didn't have his feet solidly on the ground. No, you know? he, he tried and he went back to St. Benedict's and taught. Um, he was making some efforts to get a career going. He was in a way, and then he was still dealing weed, and he worked as a baggage carrier because he liked the travel benefit. From that, he went to Rio, he went to Croatia, he went to different parts of the world. And the guy was not even 30 at this point. I think he's kind of, he's a bit lost, and he's trying to find himself. Right, basically. as many of us, myself included, was before each. Oh, definitely. <laughs> I think I 100%, still am. 100%. Yes. You know, absolutely. I think it is, I think his father's death, though, kind of put him on a downward spiral. And as yeah, it, as it and would I mean, to anyone. 
But I don't want to paint this as an in, any type of, in, of inevitability. Uh, he he made choices, and uh, he did make he, choices. He made choices, and 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 one of the one of the choices he made, and I think he was a frustrating case for some of his friends. His friends from Yale. There was one in particular that stands out in my mind, a guy named Oswaldo. Who and Oswaldo was Puerto Rican. He came from very similar background, rob rough neighborhood. Had family members who were drug dealers and he describes rob as like he's so fucking smart and so fucking stupid right i've known many too smart for their own good exactly he had all these great raw materials he had smarts he was a good looking guy he was charismatic people loved him he loved people he had all these good raw materials and the tragedy to me is that uh, he built, was getting in his own way. Yeah, what kind of house he could have built? I think he was starting to realize that, but it, it was the the last big take syndrome. He was going to get gang a pot and get money together, make a huge amount of sour diesel and sell it. And so he collected all of this, and it ended up in his friend Curtis Gamble's house where they were it's a process to make this sour diesel you've sure. got to you've got to get these two strains you got to use butane he used all of his his lab know-how to like make this stuff as we said and somehow it, he got tipped off people probably heard about large amount of money large amount of weed on may 18th rob was shot and killed in the basement of his friend curtis gamble's house was the money and the cachet of drugs too big of a draw for competing drug dealers? Was it one of Rob's runners who saw an opportunity and took it? Too often we see the streets swallow up people and swallow up their potential, leaving grieving mothers and news bulletins that are way too short. Rob Peace's killers have never been found. You know, and the cynic in me does wonder how deeply his death was investigated. And you know what? Maybe it was. I don't know. Or... Maybe he was just passed off as one more dead drug dealer. I hope not. I hope not, because he deserves more than that. And certainly Jackie deserves more than that. Definitely. And his funeral was absolutely huge. There were 400 people who came, and it was the quilt of the people from Rob's life. It was people from Newark. It was people from St. Benedict's. It was people from Yale. And as somebody put it, we're left to ponder why someone with prospects like his would make the choices he did and why he would waste the opportunities he had created for himself. So and, but know, this, this story just breaks my heart. It breaks I gotta, my heart. I, tell you. I, I, I mean, really, I, for, I think about Jackie. I, I don't know everything about it. I just, I see Rob, uh, you know, it, I just see him as another, you know, as another victim of violent crime, you know, and what he was doing to get himself in that situation kind of doesn't really matter to me. He was a victim of violent crime, and I'm just very sorry that he's gone. How much sort of inner city crime does not get the focus that it should? You don't get the details and the narrative. You just don't, oftentimes. Yeah, and I think it's shocking when when you really look at the reality of it. Yeah. And then to see somebody go from that and achieve so much, you know, I, is, is really quite remarkable. And I just wanted to say rest in peace, Rob and Cooney. And Kevin.